Welcome to the HR Futures Podcast, brought to you by Expedite HR, the organisation behind Working Futures, the event for HR directors, and the new mobile application, Circa, the only app dedicated to developing and improving the HR profession. This podcast is also brought to you in association with Zealous, the market-leading provider of payroll, HR, and managed services. Uh, I'm Kevin Green, and I'm your host for this podcast. And with me today is Sue Swambra, who's the HRD at Withworths Limited. So, Sue, welcome. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about Whitworths. Tell us a bit about what they do, the size of the organisation. And I think you've been there for about 17 months. So perhaps just give, bring it to life as some of the, the things that you've faced or your, the, some of the challenges that you've got in the, the organisation. Sure. So as you said, I've been with us about 17 months now. We're a medium-sized UK-based business, uh, long heritage, so we've been around uh, for about 130 years. Uh, we manufacture branded and private label dried fruits, nuts and seeds. Um, the organisation has been through a lot of change over the last um, two to three years ago, uh, moving into private ownership. Um, and uh, we produce high-quality products um, for baking and healthy snacking for kids and adults. So actually, bang on trend, great business to be in. So I always think of like prunes and apricots and those yeah. little bags. That's that's the business, is it? Absolutely. And then also mixtures of things. So we do with, with shots that are less than 100 calories of um, mixture of nice things like chocolate and, oh, nice. and also fruit and nuts and stuff. So actually a combination of, of um, food that you can just snack on the go. And, and does the business describe itself as like a fast-moving consumer goods business or is it a retailer? Does it, so tell us, what you, how would you describe what it does? So fast-moving consumer goods. So we manufacture and market the, the products that I've just talked about. Um, some are private labels, so we, we manufacture them on behalf of our customers. Um, so, you know, to all intents and purposes, when you went into a, yeah. um, a grocery store, supermarket, you'd actually see the, the name of that particular uh, customer on it. But we also have the branded business as well. So it's a nice mixture of the two. Okay. And uh, how big is it? What's its turnover? How so many people? So about 130 million turnover, nice. about 400 people. Okay, nice size. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, you said it's recently gone private. What was it before? Was it private equity backed or? Yeah, so it had about four rounds of private equity um, okay. before going into private ownership. Fantastic. And who's it owned by? So it's owned by um, um, a private investor, Fantastic. we say, so not an organisation, an, an individual. Um, and uh, so there's a majority and a minority shareholder. Fantastic. And the really positive thing about that is, you know, when you've got owners are in it for the long term, it means that you can invest and develop the business in a different way. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to touch on that. So um, tell us a little bit, I'm always interested in how people got into HR uh, in the first place. So was this a conscious decision for you at some point? You come to one moment with, I think HR may be the career for me, or was it something you sort of fell into and then potentially fell in love with it? How did you get into HR? So I'd say it's interesting. I'd say it's probably a subconscious choice. So um I've, I've uh, been through various different functions in, in my um, career. So R&D, manufacturing, broader supply chain, bit of finance before finally finding myself in HR. And I guess it sort of evolved a bit. But what I learned was when I went to Mars, um, there were, you know, they viewed a manager is a manager, whatever. So I had that opportunity for cross-functional experience. And what I realized was that 
actually the potential you have in people and the opportunity to really deliver the business results is enormous. So then for me, you know, that was was almost irrespective of the functional, the task that you're doing. Um, so actually what I then thought was which what is the best place to be which function is best to be in okay. to enable that to happen. So when you were doing other jobs in yep. supply chain or finance, it was the people bit that you really felt passionate about, developing people, getting the best from people. And that sort of led you to HR? I, I guess so. I also loved the task. So I loved what I was doing as well as the, the yeah. people piece. But it was almost like, you know, if you can release some of the untapped potential that people have within themselves, the results are extraordinary. Okay. So, um, tell us, one of the things that's interesting about your CV, you spent a lot of time at General Mills, uh, but prior to that, Mars, and now in a, a much smaller organisation. So, tell us a little bit about, you know, the just difference that HR plays in those sorts of organisations, you know, the different approach, different philosophy, focus on different things. I'm always interested in those experiences. So, mm-hmm. Perhaps see if you can bring those to life for us. Okay, um, interesting. It's a very general question, shall yeah. I? Um, so I think, you know, it's it's what every organisation should be saying in every HR function, what is it the business is calling for, rather than there's a specific uh, silver bullet or whatever. So I'd say if I think about Mars and General Mills in particular, so two uh, global businesses, both American-centred, um, uh, Lots of similarities. And the similarities, I guess, are about having that clear business focus and being grounded in what the the business is calling for. I guess the differences would be really just about stage stage of development. So, you know, Mars had a very well-established HR team, had been historically, had been a real driver of of innovation in terms of people practices. Mm. So uh, fabulous learnings there. Mm. When I joined General Mills um, in 2006, um, they were, it was only just, quite shortly after the the big acquisition that General Mills did of Pillsbury. So an equal market value acquisition. And and effectively, General Mills did that in order to enable sort of an international global presence. They tried a few things and actually they saw the acquisition of Pillsbury as the way to really really enable that. So um, General Mills was evolving as a global business um, when when I joined. Um, So the US HR systems process is really well developed outside the US, not so much at the time that I joined. So, you know, the same sort of core ethos, I guess, but just difference in terms of stage of development. Mm. So what the business, the, the, the part of the business that I was working for in was called pulling for was something slightly different. Okay. And, and, and so when you arrived at General Mills, they'd just done that acquisition, had they not that long previously. So how had that gone? Because that's always interesting for me, you know, cultures, leadership styles, how had they gone about sort of bringing two quite disparate organisations together in some kind of coherent way? So um, I think folks being really clear on the principles and focusing on the long game um, and letting the organisation evolve a bit. So recognising, for instance, that um, within the U- the US there was a particular um, stage of organisation, so Pillsbury part of the business there was integrated reasonably quickly. Mm-hmm. However, recognising that there was everything outside North America um, that they maybe needed to treat differently. So actually put, formed an international division okay. um, and kept that reasonably separately to start with. So actually evolved it and grew it, which I think was um, a very sensible way to do it because it, it, it allowed the organisation to evolve at the right pace. Yeah, I think that's often the way is mm-hmm. if you bang things together, you know, perhaps too quickly, you don't allow people to have the time to work things sure, through and yeah. create new ways of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, 
let's just think a bit about your career then. And, and, and as you sort of um, think about it uh, and you think back, what are the things you're sort of proudest of? What sort of leaps up and you think, I loved that. That was a wonderful moment. I Not just what I, we did, but what we achieved. You know, what, what sort of things leap to the front of your mind? It's really difficult to find a single thing, to be quite honest. Um, but I'd, I'd have to say it would be either based on people or culture shift. So actually, you know, when you see somebody growing and developing and doing something they thought they'd never be, never have thought they'd be capable of, I think that's just amazing, satisfying for any mm. manager or leader in a business. Um, but probably the most most significant thing for me when we'd we've put in something that or created conversations to enable a culture shift, and then you can see the link to the business results. Yeah. So um, I've I've done some really interesting work uh, building trust in an organisation. So when I was at General Mills, we did a lot of work in creating that sort of culture of trust, which was massively impactful in terms of how we work together. Mm. And most latterly, when I was at General Mills, actually, we did some work which was really exciting and something I probably would never have thought possible before we did it. But we created a culture shift in 90 days. Now, I'm going to come back to the 90 days and the culture shift. But I want to go back to that first point. Is there any particular story you know you said that bit about people growing doing things you just is there any story that you could share there's a someone that you can remember it might have been someone that entered the business and grew very very quickly or someone where you coached or mentored because I'm I, I think that is one of the most rewarding things in any kind of leadership or management role uh, could you just bring that to life for us and then we'll get into the culture shift stuff sure okay so I guess the one that springs to mind is um when I was in General Mills and bought somebody new into the HR team, somebody who had absolute bags of potential, um, had been used to HR in probably a very traditional process approach. So, you know, you delivered projects, you implemented an appraisal system or you implemented something, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm far more about, you know, you create, so you yes, absolutely need to do that, but you also create the conversation and that's where you get the shift in terms of culture and, and people grow. And I remember this particular individual saying to me, all I'm doing is having conversations with people. And and that's how it sort of started. And that's actually what shift am I creating? Yeah. And then actually she grew to the extent that she was really creating a change and helping leaders develop and went on and is now um, a director in the General Mills business. And actually she has achieved so much and released some of that untapped potential she had. And that is massively satisfying for her, but also for me as well. Right. And so when you saw her the first time, you said there was loads of potential. What do you, when you're working with someone, you and we've all been there, you go, crumbs, they've got something about them. What is there anything you can say about that? What it looks like, what you spotted, you know, what you're always looking for? So I'd say um, potential for me falls into a number of areas. So clearly there's the intellectual, mental sort of uh, capability. There's also the change um propensity for change almost uh there's something about the individual and their growing their self-awareness so that they continue to evolve and understand about themselves to be even better what they're doing and i guess it's just a sort of a an intuition really you know can somebody go into a particularly you know a completely new environment context situation and deliver results based on stuff that they've experienced before, but in a very different context that you might not even think will be applicable. So it's yeah. how you pull all those things together. 
Um, yeah, and the curiosity, I guess, is something. There that's is. Really I cool. think absolutely. Right. It's definitely something about curiosity, but I think there's definitely something about their ability to influence others, isn't it? You see it sometimes with people that don't even know they have it. They and from a leadership's perspective, you're always looking for someone that can paint a picture, tell a story, have some conversations, and get people to give of their best. So. Okay, so I, I want to come back to the change bit in a moment. But before we do that, I'm always keen to ask the question the other way around. You know, what's the thing in your career that you look back on and go, great piece of learning. If I had the chance again, I'm not sure I'd do it that way mm. or that didn't quite work. But out of that came a great piece of learning. So when hindsight, when you look back, is there things that you think, crumbs, I could, do the, could have done that differently and got perhaps a different result? So I think, oh, definitely, loads, actually. There's always something to learn. There's always something that you could have done better. And I, I think it's, you know, for me, what would I do differently is probably a bit of a general answer, but I'd be bolder, more confident, and I'd take more risks and do things quickly. And within that, let go of things that are no longer working rather than continue to continue to try and make it work, um, to say, do you know what? This probably isn't working. Say it earlier. And then, you know, move on and do something different. So it's probably a general thing rather than a specific. So it's a bit about sort of failing quicker. Yeah. Actually, that's yeah. not working. Let's move on. But the bit about being braver and bolder, is that something which is sort of been part of your journey? So you think, actually, um, I know more about myself. I'm more confident. I've been around a bit longer. I've tried different things. So is it just the maturing process or is it something that you've actively worked on with yourself to be bolder and braver and confront things? I think actively worked on. So and very much based on what does the business need? You know, so if you think about the business I'm in, the marketplace is changing quickly. So, you know, think of yourself as a consumer, yeah. you know, you buy differently, you probably go shopping more frequently, you look for different things, so value, you look for maybe something that's more healthy. Um, you know, so the whole context has changed and the, you know, the, even the sort of the marketplace, the number of, of different retailers, food retailers are in the, the business, in, in the marketplace mm. now are very different. So things are con- continually changing. So, you know, the question for myself is actually how can we be quicker more agile that's a very overused word perhaps but um as an organization and what can i do within that so that's so i'm continually thinking about am i looking externally enough to say what change is occurring mm. so what can i catalyze or challenge internally how do you go about doing that piece about you know looking externally because one of the things you find with hr and even with hr directors sometimes is we get we're very internally focused you know we're focusing on the leadership and our business and our journey and and one of the things I th- see more of, you know, with people that are making a huge difference in the people side of businesses is, is they're, they're really connected to customers and markets and trends and, and looking at, you know, learning about HR and different people practices from businesses in completely different parts of the, the market. So how do you do that? How do you go about keeping okay. fresh, thinking about market trends? So I think, um, first of all, in terms of, of- market trends and and trends of products you know there's a lot of knowledge and information internally so you know our category people have masses amount of data about how we're all evolving as consumers which is really helpful to to tap into you know our sales guys in terms of customers also for me knowing hr people in the customers actually talking to them Mm. about how they're perceiving things Um, and then you know networking within the hr community to understand different businesses and what's going on for them and it's almost like any opportunity any conversation with anybody is an opportunity to understand their perspective so you know if you are the hairdressers 
actually, what are they buying? What are they, you know, how are you finance consumer? You know, notice any new brands? All anything is an opportunity to learn and grow. And okay, thank you for that. Um, let's talk a little bit then. Um, we'll talk about Whitworth in a moment, but just I'm, I'm fascinated by what you said in relation to the culture change in ninety days. Because I think that, I mean, I've been involved in quite a few transformations and change projects and um, 90 days is not very long. So I'm really interested in how you got at some of the underlying assumptions within that sort of time period and stuff. So do you want to just tell us about perhaps set the scene? So where was the organisation? What was the organisation? And then just tell us about how you did it. Sure. So... um so the context was, um, so it's when I was at, just before I left General Mills, so we were a high-performing HR team, so reputation for excellent service, um, you know, within the team, great uh, relationships in the team, open conversations, everybody was really highly committed. So mm. on the surface, nothing was broken. You know, engagement survey results were the highest in the business, it was all great. Um, the pace within the organisation was changing, and I'm sure everyone can, can mm. relate to this. So... You know, actually what that external impact, the external to HR, meant that there was more requirement to deliver more stuff, more more activities. Um, and people's integration of work with life was getting a bit out of balance. It felt okay. like people were busy. Um, and what that resulted in was it almost became like, I've got this on my list of tasks to do today. I'm going to get my head down. I'm going to tick, tick, tick so I can go home at a reasonable time. And I'm sure everybody can relate to that because there's mm. no doubt the pace of change is increasing. So, so it felt like that was at the expense of team co- collaboration and, and reflection and learning. And, and interestingly, if you look at the neuroscience behind that, you know, it, it, it talks about, you know, with stress levels that mm. increase and that leads to increased pressure. So, and that, that in turn reduces the clarity of thought because you're just on this hamster wheel of do, 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 yeah. do. And people are less effective, you know, and you can feel that in yourself, to be honest. Um, And that learning environment disappears. And actually, the thing that we really do need um, at times like this is to continue learning and growing and thinking about how we're involving. So so that was the sort of context. We had done the traditional approach, which, you know, was great. So we'd have team away days, we'd have learning sessions. Fabulous conversations. We talked about collaboration, building more trust within the team. What are the priorities of the team and the individuals? All that great stuff. You know, we had a great day. Then we'd go back into the workplace. And what I would call the tyranny of the day job took over. So great intentions were superseded by the immediacy of delivering those urgent mm. tasks when you're, you're back at your desk. Okay. So, so so I understand the problem. And I, yep. It sounds, yep. I, I, I've experienced it, I've seen it, so I know exactly what you mean. And again, I think uh, Matthew Side in his book Black Box Thinking does a great piece of work about that when people get very myopic and about how they've yep. done a lot about training airline pilots because that's when accidents occur when they're tired. Anyway, so we get the get the trend. So, And you said you've done the traditional approach. So when you were thinking, well, I want to create a different environment, more trust, different ways of working, more collaboration, what were the business results that you were thinking you might be able to get at? So I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell me about how you went through the change process, but... Was it more value to the business, deliver better things? So what were the things, the hard tangibles you were thinking we might be able to, you know, release and do better at? What it was about, so actually how much time are we spending with the leaders? How much are we helping them to grow and develop and enabling them to step back and have the reflection time? You know, because 
if as leaders, for all of us, irrespective of the function, we're not reflecting on where we are and actually how we're being as leaders, what create, what culture we're creating, how we're driving business results, actually we're missing a massive opportunity. There's too much in the do, 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 as opposed to how we're being. Right. So you're clearly looking for something. So what did you discover? How did you go about doing this this new approach to culture change within? The- sure. So it started off with, to be honest, with me thinking, hang on, this just can't carry on. You know, mm, because we, yeah. you know, we've got to do something different. And I could see this massive potential in the team. And if we could just find more ways to collaborate, we'd be much more efficient as a, as a, um, a yeah. function and actually add more value. So I knew we needed a different approach and I knew it needed to start with me, which was quite scary actually, because I'd yeah. always had great feedback for me as a leader and suddenly it's like, oh my God, I need to do something differently. So how was you working at that time? Were you exactly the same? Did you feel stressed and under pressure, very long days, thinking about things at weekend, not having time to you know, to reflect, to think yourself? So was you sort of feeling some of those symptoms as well? I guess to a certain extent, but the way that, that I tend to work is I, when I'm at work in the day, in the environment of the business, I like to be with the people and help to grow and, and develop them and, and yes, deliver some stuff. But actually for me, then the I would work outside that in the evening. So okay. as long as it didn't go into the weekend, that was fine. And that balance for me actually was okay, just for me okay. personally, because it was a conscious choice I was making. Um, so there was an impact on me, but that okay. was less important than actually for me, the opportunity for the team. So um, I I talked to um, some people that I'd known for a while, um, uh, some consultants and said, you know, how can we explore doing something differently? And I'd been doing some personal development um, with um, archetypes. So archetypes yeah, yeah. are universal patterns of behavior that are, are you know, really core with, within ourselves. And, and actually I'd realized a shift that had happened for me. And I was thinking, could we do this in business? Which is where the conversation started. So um, what we did was we defined a vision and what was possible. So we actually did set some KPIs. Okay. So, you know, not in the traditional sense yeah, of KPIs. Yeah. So, you know, much more subjective. Um, and, you know, so they'd be based on the views of individuals and te- the team and how, yeah, yeah. how we felt. Um, but we had KPIs around individual and team and customer and external. So it wasn't just okay. restricted internally. It was looking more broadly and thinking about our impact. And um, and this uh, organization had defined um, a model because, you know, you need a framework. Yes, uh, for me, a framework is just a way into a conversation because the challenge, I think, with any framework or model, it can become a self-fulfilling yep. thing in itself, which actually is not what you want. You want the conversation. That's where the shift is. So based on archetypes, I maybe took a little bit about that. So, for instance, what is an archetype? So, for instance, you might have um, a hero striving. A hero would strive to beat the competition, even when it's within yourself. You know, it's winning at all costs. You just want to win. You know, we all have a hero within ourselves. Um, there's a maverick. So a maverick has boundless energy for bending and breaking the rules, taking risks, finding different ways to, to do that. Networkers get to know all sorts of people, create great connections. So those are the sort of things yeah. that I'm talking about, archetypes that exist in business. And then balancing that with the um, the S-curve of innovation or, or growth, okay. which I'm sure you're familiar with. So, you know, you have, if you think about an S-curve, it starts with your early adopters um, and you're building within that phase, you're building momentum for growth. Then you get into the growth optimization bit where you're sort of going up the, yeah. the vertical bit of the S-curve. And then that's all about consolidating the growth at speed, if you like. And then you get into the, the top of the S, which is about sort of change agency, which is 
invested in finding new opportunities. You know, and there was there was no um, doubt for me that given the rate of change in the external marketplace, we needed to find a way to jump from one S-curve up to the next, up to the next, yeah, as, as is true yeah, of innovation yeah. Yeah. Um, theory. So um, the consultants had, had defined this model based on those. And because yeah. it's it's working with architects, my experience had been you can get deep change very fast because you're connecting with, you know, quite a yeah, yeah. deep part, part of you, if you like. So they the model defined these three areas, some three of which were invisible and three were visible. So, for instance, uh, drive values and learning was sort of the invisible mm-hmm. things. And then the, the visible were systems values and obviously the impact or results that you get. And within each of those, there are um, three archetypes. So if I think about the one around drive, your earlier adopter would be a transformer. Um, your growth optimizer would be the hero, you know, continue yeah, to yeah. drive the growth and then maverick is actually about finding new ways to do things in order to jump up to the next growth curve the danger for, i think for an organization what i was noticing potential the potential to happen is you're very much in that hero mindset so i'm going to win i'm going to which is what we were doing as a team we're going to win we're going to drive even faster we're going to do more of the same we're going to get better at doing it instead of gosh is there a different way of doing it yeah. finding how to do yeah, it differently yeah, yeah, yeah. is a bit of a challenge so that that was the basis of um of the model that we used so can i just so if yeah. i was in your team and yeah. we were going to start to work so how would i have experienced the project was like there was some individual work some assessment we worked together in teams so just try and sort of take us through it through from sort of uh if you were experiencing the process Practical, yeah so um all together to define what we wanted to achieve Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, a program of a series of regular reviews. How are we doing? Where are we? And you can actually, um, there's a questionnaire which tells you where you are in, yeah, in yeah. each of those areas, obviously, to see. The, the whole point is you want to be able to, for each of the, the six areas that I've talked about, so the learn, drive, yeah, et cetera, yeah. you want to be able to, within the team, have the flexibility to be able to go for each of those places on the on the growth curve because actually for any situation you're in you'll need something different potentially so you need to have that capability so actually continuing to focus having regular meetings taking people away from the day job into the learning sessions um and then having projects to support what we were doing and embed and learn but that regular cycle of checking in continual relentless you know, in a positive way. And that was probably, that was a thing for me as a leader, I guess. I need to change not only how I was being, but actually what I was doing. So yes, we will do this every week. We will get together. In fact, it was more than once a week. And people, but I'm really busy. I can't, I wish I'd get. So actually let's invest in this. And once everybody was in the room, that was very powerful. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so the bit about 90 days is interesting because again, lots of group work, lots of people reflecting, projects, so how can you go from, you know, the diagnostic phase of where we are to where we want to be and create this shift? So how did you do it at pace? That's most probably one of the things people are going, I get it. I like the process. I can understand it. But how do we do it that fast? So it is about the, because you're working at a deep level and you're working with the archetypes and these behaviours, actually continuing to look at where you are and reflecting and taking the learnings just continues to drive that really fast learning. And, and actually what helped along the way as well was where we did, where we uh, implemented projects and worked on things. Yeah. Um, you know, what one of my team commented afterwards, we solved a 13-year problem in two weeks. 
Fantastic. Because we focused, so it was always on the list. Oh, this thing isn't particularly efficient for us. This particular system that we've got isn't particularly efficient. We'd never really focused on it properly. And so we continued to be inefficient because it was easier, felt easier to do that. Actually really taking the time and focusing, you could demonstrate that particular shift. As you create the shift, it builds people's confidence in doing, you're demonstrating to them the Mm. shift. So then they truly understand, we truly understood the benefit of collaboration and how that could shift our results rather than continuing to work in silos. Now you stand back from this, you know, have you used this methodology again? Has it been adopted in general meals? Because it sounds, you know, fantastic. It sounds like a great uh, intervention that created different behaviour, different outcomes. So really powerful stuff. So what do you reflect on it and, and has it been adopted? So in some areas, yes, it was. Um, so... Uh, I was just leaving the business, so, mm. so we we implemented, um, and then it was one of the, the um, incentives, I guess, for doing it was actually leaving the leaving my legacy, if you like, yes. with the team. But also, you know, as HR, we'd role modelled a different way of doing things, and then presenting that to the business, the the broad business, and say, actually, what do you want to do with this? Um, and so there were a couple of other activity areas that were taken up in other areas of the business, oh, yeah. the, the Europe Australasia yeah. business, um, as I was leaving. Okay. And are you thinking about using it at Whitworth's or is it uh, perhaps the time's not right? You're thinking about when do you deploy this sort of stuff? So if you remember what, what I said earlier on, you know, what's really important in HR is doing what's right for the business at the stage of development that it's at. It's really easy in HR to think, I've got this fantastic thing that works really, and I'm really enthusiastic about it. I love it and I know that it works. It's very powerful. However, you know, what you need to say is, where is the organisation in state of development? And it's not right or wrong. It just is what it is. So what's called for? So there's some other things that we're doing. So we're doing some work around trust, um, you know, enabling and helping to be clear on what we expect of our managers and you know and leaders so we're doing okay. that piece of work um before we do any of the other stuff yeah fantastic i've really enjoyed the first part of our conversation sue and we'll be back in a couple of moments with the second part where we'll explore uh other things we'll talk about the hr profession advice to young people we'll also talk to sue about what she does outside of work um and so we'll be back in a couple of moments Are you looking to reduce risks and operating costs? Or increase your agility and capacity? There's more pressure than ever for HR and finance to provide strategic value for the business and for CEOs. At Zealous, our expert team creates software and managed services that handle your entire payroll and HR admin processes. We believe there are two sides to the employee experience. The fundamentals that need to go unnoticed and experiences that employees really care about. And we can help you master both. We're here to make the complex simple, freeing you up to focus on your people and achieve your goals. Find out more at zealous.com. Welcome back to the second part of our HR Futures podcast, um, brought to you by Expedite HR. With me today for the second part is Sue Swambra, who's the HR Director at Whitworth. So we've had a great conversation about culture change and doing it at base. One of the things, Sue, that, that interests me is, and I think you said this earlier on, which is HR can be very, very busy. 
You know, HR has got lots of things it can do. It has to do some of the fundamentals, pay people, hire people, train people. But the great HR functions, the ones that make a huge difference are the ones that can prioritise and focus on few things and use them to drive change and performance improvement and productivity. So could you just tell us a little bit about how you've gone about that in your career? You know, how do you choose what to do and you know, what to major on and what to perhaps put on the back burner? Sure. Uh, I think, first of all, it's um, important to think about the role of HR and what it's adding. And I know that can be a bit hackneyed and some people find that a bit gosh, we're talking about the role of HR again. But I, I do think it's important to take a step back. And if I think about my three areas of objectives, the first is about delivering the business results and my role in that. The second thing is about the HR basics, which sounds sounds a bit insulting probably to people in HR, but you know, actually, as you were saying, the paying people, the you know, the um, recruiting the right people, all of that is really actually from a business point of view, is what HR yep. needs to deliver and actually arguably can be the bit that can be outsourced potentially. Uh, but the bit for me where HR really adds value is the third objective, which is that leadership and cultural transformation because I think that's the real um, step change and value add that means yep. you know it's critical to have an HR fun- or people function, whatever you want to call it, um, within your organisation because sitting in there making those things happen and actually... The basics, if, if you want to call it that, are the things that give you the credibility almost in the position to do that. So coming back to your question about what, what should we focus on, I mean, for me, it's about if you think about what HR is uniquely positioned to do, I would say it's the bringing the organisational insight. Um, so it's actually combining a number of things. So an understanding of the external uh, marketplace not having to do this yourself for goodness sakes or people who are in the business that you partner with and, and will help help with that so what is happening externally what are the trends what yeah, sort yeah. of what's sort of going on consumers customers um products whatever it might be there's also um a, an interplay to understand what the ambition of the business is so what is it you know what do we want to be what are the if you like, macroeconomic drivers that, that yeah, drive yeah. our business, the critical things to really understand. And then there's the the people and the, the culture. So what is it the employees want? Where are we in terms of culture? And I think probably the, um, if that's a Venn diagram, yeah, course, yeah. circles, yeah, yeah. The, the central piece, the overlap then is the organisational insight that I think we are uniquely placed to bring. And clearly it's not on our own, but you know that mm. that's the thing to focus on. So, so actually really understanding for your business what are those things? You know, what what are the, how does that all fit together? So, what is the business mm. um, calling for at at every level? Uh, because if we're not starting off with the what does a business need, who are we as a business, yeah. and what do our people need, actually, we're missing a, a massive trick. It's really easy to say that. I'm so conscious of, of just as I'm mm. listening to myself. Um, and as you were saying earlier, it's very easy to become too focused internally. So, what we should be thinking on about is you know, what the business really needs yeah. and what our, our people need. So that's how I would always start with the prioritisation. And then I'd actually sense check it with my colleagues and say, look, this is what I'm thinking. Do you, does that, that feel right? Does it not feel right? So in terms of Whitworth, the business you're in at the moment, what, what does that look like? So what are your sort of major thrusts? What sort of things that you're really working on, bearing in mind that, you know, the context of change, eating habits, I'm sure our supermarkets behave. There's lots of macro stuffs going on with customers. So, you know, what have you what have you distilled in your current business? And the really positive thing, actually, is when I joined Whitworth, there was a three-year people strategy in place. 
very closely linked to the, the business strategy. And my view is, you know, the organisation defined that for a reason. Does it fit? Is it fit for purpose? Absolutely. Because although, you know, there is change going on externally, is it change that's different to what we've seen in the past? So the customers, yes, changing and, and evolving, but actually it's almost like more of the same. Yeah. So it's not seismic change. Sim- similarly, eating habits, you know, trends are continuing to play out. So more health, well-being, probably slower than we would have anticipated. You know, the channels that we we buy through, you know, yes, more digital, but but digital's there now. So is it massively different? Mm. Um, I would say not. So actually, the you know, focusing on the people, the organisation and the culture continues. So have we got the right people we need for the future roles? You know, and are we are we growing our future leaders yeah. sufficiently? Are we absolutely stays the same, which I think probably every HR person you speak to yeah, would say yeah. the same thing. Have we got the organisation that's fit for purpose? Um, and have we got a culture that's enabling us to deliver the results we want? So come back to the culture. So the organisation, so are you talking about how we've structured ourselves, what processes we use, is it, you know, the, the sort of mechanistic bit of the organisation and the culture's the behavioural, the values-driven stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and how's it going? So 17 months in, you know, you've gone through the honeymoon bit, get to know them, they get to know you. You're sort of into delivery now, trying to make stuff happen. Are you enjoying it? Absolutely, yeah. And I think actually, um, because of what was called for from the business from early on, it was about making things happen. And my predecessor did a great job in terms of putting some of the the um, the basic frameworks in place, but, you know, having yeah. um, sold the business. And so great for me to come in and actually just take it to the next the next stage, which is very positive. So it really feels like we're motoring. We've got a great organization. We've got a really um, strong leadership team. We're clear on where we're going um, as a business. It feels a very exciting place to be. Sounds great. Um, let's go a little broader. Let's talk about the HR profession. Let's talk about our great, wonderful um, thing that I think both of us have spent most of our lives doing. So What's its failing? Because I, I, I am frustrated, and I'll be honest with you, and I think... Uh, so I spent 10 years running the REC and, and then thought, well, I'm going to go and do this non-exec stuff. And So I'm going to go back and see what's happened in the last 10 years to HR and do some reading around it. And nothing had moved on. It seemed to be the same debate. So I think the opportunity is huge for our profession to add value, to make businesses perform. But I'm not sure we've made a breakthrough or transformed ourselves I'm interested in your view on that. But secondly, so I suppose from your own perspective, what do you think it is that HR isn't getting right and needs to get better at? Sure. So I think for me, there are probably three areas, actually. And and I, you know, I would actually disagree with you. If you look at a generic level, I think you're right. Overall, generically, the function things haven't changed that much. However, there is a, it feels like it's sort of almost like spread out. So you've got some real early adopters, that's what I was yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, you know, and, and some people who may be lagging behind a bit. And, you know, that mm. may be that it's the state of the development of the organisation. My challenge would probably be, is it more about us as HR professionals and what are we really challenging? And so yeah. I would say those three areas then. One is um, the role. So how commercial are we really? Um, and, you know, the whole thing about the Ulrich challenge years ago, mm. you know, was um, I think there has been a shift towards more commercial, but I don't think it's happening consistently. No, I think that's fair. And I think for those, for the, the organisations that are more commercial, my challenge would be, has the pendulum swung, swung too far and have we forgotten the people? Mm. So it's this continual 
balance between yeah. commerciality, which we absolutely have to have, but equally not lose sight of the fact that, you know, we also need to think about yeah. the people, what the organisation needs from people, but also how about they are, how they are. Because if you think about that Venn diagram I just yeah. described about the culture and the people, if we forget that, I mean, what are we doing as HL? We could be project managers or something. Yeah, so that yeah. would be one area, that whole yeah. balance of commercial versus people. Um, the second thing I think that, again, it's more of, so it's equipping organisations for change, so that agility. So for me, agility is sensing and responding so sensing what's happening externally and then being able to respond internally faster than competition um, and within that you know have we got genuine diversity so there are a lot of metrics and things around tick box gender paid or whatever actually genuine diversity for me is difference in terms of thinking it's bringing those sort of mavericks into your organization that will help you with that s curve yeah, yeah, yeah. jumping and that and that change and so question on, on diversity, but not just the absolute metrics yeah. of true diversity. And then there's something about, you know, I, I see a lot of HR has got putting in much more data and metrics, which I think is positive. However, I think if we're just saying it's data as opposed to what are the insights, we're missing a massive opportunity. Yeah. And I think there's also a danger that we're going too much into our head about it. And actually, where is the space for that intuition? You know, so if I think mm. about somebody who's a, great finance somebody's great at finance they can look at a balance sheet and say something's not right there mm. don't know what it is or you know somebody in hr can say something's not right culturally there or the people or yeah. you know marketers with brands so actually how much space are we living for intuition and i think it's we're starting to shift if you think about the work on neuroscience which i think is really positive because mm. it's making that acceptable to have that conversation within business but some way to go so those are three areas commercial versus people Agility, equipping for change, and um, take the data more. Mm. I, mean, I don't disagree with any of those, and I, I think there's a journey on all of them for us. Um, the bit I'm going to pick up on is just a bit about data, because I'm with you. I think there is a lot of work going on around how do we look at data. And again, there was something really interesting that um, IBM's chief exec said the other day that she can predict 95% of the people that are going to leave her organisation with 95% accuracy by looking at data. Um, which I think is does get us into an interesting place because it is about predictive. It's about helping us think about where we need to work and which leaders and what part of the organisation. So, I think you're right. I think we I think we haven't done the heavy lifting on the data bit, Rhett, and we're mm. not getting the right type of data because I think once you get the right data, then your point's well made, which is actually it's the insight and what is it telling us about what we need to do that's the interesting bit. So I think there's a journey for HR in terms of getting on top of data and then thinking about it. I think it's a big job for the CIPD to do as well because I had a look at the syllabus the other day for the lots of the masters and stuff and they're still seeking accounts and uh, statistics. And um, so I think we've got a bit of a journey ahead mm -hmm. of us in terms of the profession. So let me take it on from that. So a um, young person approaches you, Sue, and says... You know, um, perhaps I'm at university. I'm thinking about an HR, a career in HR. You know, what would you say to them? What would you say are the things that are to be looked out for that are great assets about having a career in HR? And the things that perhaps are the downsides and the things that you may be saying, well, you need to think about these as well. So give us the sort of pros and cons. Sure. So I'd, what I'd start off by talking about actually is what it is that's, Obviously, you know, what is it about HR? And also just opening their mind to opportunities because the millennials, people leaving uni now, 
are going to have long careers in front of them. They are. You know, and actually, so I think there's much more opportunity for multi-career lives. So, so thinking about when do I want to go into HR? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, sharing my experience has started off um, outside the HR function. I've probably mm. been HR about 60% of my career. That broad business experience for me has been a lot of fun. Uh, but I think that's what I'd start getting them to think about. Um, I'd also talk to them about some of the, um, probably some advice maybe about the sort of mindsets to have. So actually it's about, you know, open to learning and growth, being curious, being challenging, you know, just looking at what you're seeing and saying, you know, what what is happening here? What, what does the business need? And then that leads me to continue reassessing what's called for. So you've heard me talk yeah, about this yeah, before, yeah. actually. So, you know, what is working for the business, what's not? What changes could we make in terms of business results? And, and also not to take things too personally if it's not working. Yeah. So, you know, maybe thinking about, you know, so all the research about millennials talks about this desire to move on quickly. And I think organisations need to equip themselves mm. to that. But actually from an individual's point of view, to think about what am I learning and what do I want to learn in service of my sort of future career um, as yeah. opposed to next job. Yeah, I, I think there's certainly, you know, we need, uh, and I've got a 24-year-old son, he's a millennial, and um, my coaching and supporting of him in his career aspirations is um, interesting, shall we say. So trying to do it when it's close to home has been interesting. Um, so I like that bit. I like that bit about getting them to reflect, to think about their learning, think about what's driving them, and, and, and to talk about the mindset and stuff. So if you were... Looking ahead, you're looking ahead to the next 10 years, I suppose, and there's lots of talk about what technology is going to do. So whether it's machine learning or algorithms or the Internet of Things or 3D printing, there is no doubt that there is going to be greater technological change within our organisations. What does this mean that HR needs to do? And I suspect it's a bit about some of the stuff you talked about earlier, about anticipating, sensing, responding, and I think organisations definitely do need to get better at that. And HR has a role to play. But what does HR need to be doing? How do we prepare organisations for some of this change that's potentially going to hit them? So I think, first of all, the whole, um, I think it's very exciting, actually, this whole digital disruption. Uh, and it will enable us to be more efficient and to, you know, as, a, as a function internally, first of all, in order to contribute in yeah. different ways to organisations. And I think it's almost like it seems it's something to be afraid of. At the moment, it's the impression I get when I read a lot of stuff around this. And actually, for me, it's actually how do we embrace it? And also, what does it mean beyond the buzzwords? Because it is a bit, you know, you hear these buzzwords. It's like, uh, yes, it is hard as well, though, actually. It's hard to quite get to the ground. I completely agree. And, you know, I think what we need to accept is that roles will change in organisations. And and no doubt technology, obviously no doubt technology will have an impact. But we will still need people. So it's actually how do we need people? Where do we need people? And some some organisations start to do some really interesting stuff. So stuff around recruitment. So there's this you know virtual reality office tours, for instance, mm. that General Mills in the US use. So you know, and that's really helpful to shift millennials' perceptions of what it's like to work in an office. Yes. You know, for instance. So actually, if you could take a virtual tour of the office and you know yeah, get yeah. an idea of the buzz and actually yeah. it's not just all sitting desks or offices or whatever that you know or that, cubicles as they like in cubicles, the states <laughs> that's, yeah, absolutely but that whole you know you can relate that to um 
personal experience yeah. and actually help people to understand that. So I think there's a lot of exciting stuff to to happen. And then I think it's actually working with the, within the organisation to talk to different functions about how and challenge them actually about what organisation do we need for the future? How can we really embrace technology for ourselves in, in this area? Um, and, and just think one, a quote that just sort of springs mm. to mind for me is... Um, when I talk about we'll still need people. So Mayor Angelou, who said, you know, at the end of the day, people won't remember what you said or did. What they'll remember is how you made them feel. Yes. Technology doesn't make you feel. No. It's actually people that make you feel. So so actually that need for coaching and support, and whatever, I think won't, won't go away. So, so HR is more about getting people to reflect, to be a, to be a you know, provocative to stimulate debates to get people to think about what they could be doing and how it could be but also uh, all the time retaining that value of people to an organization with insight and relationships with customers and stuff Absolutely. okay um, so so that's really interesting tell me a little bit about where you think the HR function will be in 10 years time do you think we will be structured the same way, doing the same stuff, or do you think there's a evolution coming for the HR function? I think it's more of the same, really. So, you know, if you think about my three objectives, yeah, yeah. business results, the basics, whatever the basics are and how you employ technology within that, given what we just said, but then the leadership and cultural developments and how we're making it feel. You know, are we bringing that? Are we identifying the organisational insight? Are we enabling people to think about yeah. how that looks in organizations i think that's you know i don't see seismic no. particularly more of the same but actually better of the same and more focused yeah i think technology helps us actually in the hr function because i think it helps us get more efficient and yeah, take a lot of the work away and focus on things where we can have more value um let's just do one more thing again this is just something that's popped into my head i mean one of the things i'm fascinated by is is that HR people making decisions about their career and where they work and where they don't work? I mean, do you just want to say something about, you know, before you join an organisation or you take on a new role, how you go about the due diligence of the leader that you might be working with? Because I think this is a fascinating thing. I mean, I talk to HR people sometimes and they go, they don't get in, and they don't get people. And, they don't get, and, I, and I always end up saying, well, don't really work there then. Because if they... Don't fundamentally get the people stuff. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are, it ain't going to land and it's not going to land. So how do you just go about, I mean, obviously you've changed at Whitworth, but you've had lots of different roles at uh, both Mars and at uh, General Mills. Just tell us about, you know, someone says, here's a great role for you. It's a bit bigger job. It's a new part of the business. How do you just go about doing a bit of due diligence around the leaders and the management team? And so I'll start by answering that actually with the three questions I asked myself. So my first question is, is my boss, CEO, whoever it might be, um, somebody that I could work with that would challenge me, but also will accept my challenge? Because that for me is quite, quite important, much. absolutely. Is the, um, the, does the business have ambition or the part of the organisation have ambition? And it doesn't mean necessarily that it's growing at a double digit or it's um, the best best in class it actually has it got ambition so is it you know proud of what it produces and or, or the role that it plays within the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the marketplace whatever but he wants to and do wants something to do yeah. something and do it better so it's yeah. it's going somewhere and then the third thing for me is actually about um the culture and you know the values and by the values i mean not necessarily well hopefully on what's on the wall will actually reflect in practice but you know 
is it all the values aligned to my my values? Because, you know, if I think about careers I had when, and the task part of it, you know, it's probably 80-20. So once you've got to the root cause of what the issue is, which is sometimes challenging to do, actually, it's probably 80-20 in terms yeah. of what you need to do. When it's people, it's actually 50-50 because you could go either way. So actually, if you're not basing your people decisions based on, what's important to the organization actually mm. how is that contribution to the organization and how you want it to be in a, a sort of a congruent aligned authentic uh, business so for me if i'm involved in making those decisions i need to be on a similar sort of wavelength if you like in terms of what's important to me so so those three things are what i look for so um it's about the person i'm working for it's about the um ambition. The, the ambition of the business and it's about the values of the and business how do you go about testing them because that's always an interesting question because there's a lot of you know I, 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 I can remember one boss I worked for who I would say on the surface was phenomenal charming uh, good with people uh, and it took me quite a long time to realise he was a bit of a tyrant actually and a lot of stuff we were doing wouldn't land because of how he behaved. So, you know, my due diligence process didn't flush that out. So I'm interested in yours. Just tell us about how you go about assessing their personality, their character, the ambition of the business and what what's really going on with the values and behaviour in the business. So I do that by actually asking some direct questions because you can talk to other people, but you actually get swayed by their filter or view of the world, Perfect. which actually is no, isn't really helpful because that's just their view based on their context, based on their beliefs and values, whatever. So for me, it's about asking the questions. So, you know, being challenging, asking what matter me, maybe asking somebody what their values are, maybe a bit confronting, but what's most important to you about this? How would other people describe you and get their view of things? Because yeah. I think that, and then it's intuition for me, to be honest. Yeah. Get it right more often than you get it wrong? I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, actually, evidence has shown yeah. that, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you've progressed, you've had big roles, you've done things that have made a huge difference, and you don't do that if the relationship's not right and you're not working with leaders that get it. So, And I guess, so actually, it is, so sometimes it doesn't work, work out. And I think if that's the case, then it's actually remove yourself from the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's clearly, in my little story, is what I had to do quite quickly because it yeah. just was never going to work. Um, so... Tell us a little bit about what you do outside of work, Sue. So we've heard a lot about your career and what you did at Mars and General Mills and where you are now. Um, but again, you know, we're talking to HR people and they're all human beings. And sometimes work is what excites us and gives us passion. But sometimes there are other things in our life. So tell us a bit about what you do outside of work. What What are your passions? What are your enthusiasms? Um, so I guess it starts with my family. So... We've got twin girls a bit younger than oh, yours, actually. So they're so how old? 21. Mm. So we just had a great 21st party, which is fantastic. Love it. Um, because actually that's one of my passions is bringing people together. Yeah. So uh, we had a great time. They're both about to leave uni. So um, interesting, progressing. Do they go to university together? No, you? no, yeah. no. So uh, very, very different. One studying law, the other studying theoretical physics. Very, Close. very different. Yeah, which is great. Actually, hey. it's very exciting. So, love spending time with them, traveling. They still like coming on holiday with us, which yeah. is great. Free holidays. So, yeah. so, um, so family is really important to me. As are friends. So, connecting and bringing people together, I, I love actually. And that, that, for me, we spend the weekend. Yeah. With people, yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is great. Um, other things. Um, my husband and I are quite foodie, like wine. 
Um, so, you know, we, uh, we're about to go on a, um, a wine tour. So we, we go on a wine tour every year with this, um, chap who, um, his business is around winning wine tours. So we're about to go to Northwest Spain, really eclectic, uh, small producers, things that you wouldn't yeah, normally see. Right. You know, I think the, the highlight for some people in the last sort of nine or 10 years we've been going on them was this or a bottling machine. So it's, you know, it's small volumes, which is very right. different to what I'm used to. So that, that's very exciting. And that's because it's about the people and the culture and just understanding that diversity. And the, these people are really passionate about what they do. So I like that. Um, I'm very interested in um, learning growth for myself because I firmly believe that if, if I'm not learning and growing, how can I expect people around me to to yeah, learn yeah, and grow, yeah. so now I need to keep improving. So I can. But how do you it. do that? Do you do you use the coach, or are you just an avid reader, or Mixed, you... mixture? Yeah. So I have a, a coach, but not a continual. Because I think with, with coaching, you know, you you have a bit of a burst if you like, then you have a bit of a reflect. Yeah. Fallow yeah. time for that, and then you go back in and and um, yeah. do that again, and that that's really helpful been really helpful for me but also have you kept really the same person the same coach have you used someone for a long period of time or have you tried different people so over the years different people yeah um but um for me that whole relationship is really important um and the the person i've been using most recently is the, from the consultancy where we did all this, this oh, cultural yeah. change work which is how we got into it because i've been through some you know significant personal growth and learning mm. and thought how can we apply this in business so, okay Brilliant. Yeah, but also reading as well. Reading and uh, to, I'm, I'm I'm reading all the time. I can't stop myself as a bizarre. I mean, I you know. Um, so novels, biographies, um, business books. What sort of stuff do you read? Complete mixture. Yeah, a bit of everything. And you can have a lockdown on at the same time. Or are you yes, uh, beginning usually, to read? Yeah, usually quite a few going on at the same time. I do too. Yeah. My, my wife is the complete opposite. She has one book and she finishes it. And then she's like, I've got like six books. I'm halfway through one and a quarter <laughs> way through the other. And, um, how about music? Sport? Broad, music, broad range. Yeah. Really a bit, a bit of everything, I'd say. Uh, pop to rock, some yeah, yeah. bit of classical jazz maybe. You know, yeah. That's, yeah. So, um, yeah, sport. I go to the gym every week. Every week, that's fine. It's always, you know, I mean, I think the whole point is, you know, life is short and you want to experience as much of it as you can. I mean, I like the idea of your wine tours. They sound uh, really quite interesting and exciting. And I think I can understand why, because of that small groups of people, but Mm -hmm. understanding a a family business quite Mm -hmm. often and Mm -hmm. what motivates them and their passion for their product and their service. So thanks for t- uh, talking to us about that. So that's that's really interesting. And one of the things I did want to mention, you're doing a, a really great workshop for Expedite HR later in the year on the 10th of September as part of their transformation series called Busting the Culture Myth, Changing a Culture in 90 Days, where the story you told us earlier, I think you're going to bring to life and you're going to do that with one of the people that worked with you. So I'm sure that our listeners that uh, are interested in that story and maybe thinking about doing something similar will come along. So look out for that. It's a transformation series, Busting the Culture Myth on the 10th of September. Sue, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, It's been great. I think there's been some hugely valuable insights about HR, particularly about the the change process. Um, Stuff about uh, picking your leaders, I think, was quite interesting. Stuff about personal growth. So I think there's loads of insight for our listeners. Uh, Thank you for spending the time with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks. Enjoyed it. 